Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for our latest bonus episode and our last bonus episode for at least a few weeks. Um, and on this one, of course, we'll be talking our latest franchise focused. First of all, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show, uh, slash welcome back to the show. Both new listeners and uh, previous listeners alike, we appreciate your support on the show, um, and thank you very much for tuning in. Um yeah, we, we have a bonus episode today uh, on a Tuesday of, of week nine. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with our last episode before the uh, uh, holiday weekend, the Christmas weekend. Uh, so we'll take a little bit of time off for that. And that was part of the reason we did some bonus episodes. Of course, we've mentioned before, we also wanted to get um, a couple extra franchise focus episodes in over the, the last few weeks to, to get ahead where we don't have... Um, the number of weeks commensurate with the number of franchise focus segments we'd like to do for all 30 teams. So we've, we've accomplished all that. We're getting ready for the weekend. Uh, but tonight we're doing our last bonus episode again for, for quite some time. We don't have any scheduled for, uh, or any planned at least for the foreseeable future. I'm sure we'll have some maybe more in the February, March area. Um, but that being said, let's waste no more time and let's jump right into today's franchise focus where we're going to be talking about the Houston Rockets. Franchise focus. Okay, when it comes to the Rockets, uh, of course, if you're not familiar with franchise focus, there's three segments to this. Firstly, we talk about the current team's uh, trajectory, their last few years, what they've done in you know this season especially, and kind of what they look like going forward. Next, we talk about a historic team from that franchise's history, and then finally, we talk about a historic, legendary, noteworthy player from the franchise's history. Um, to start with, of course, the, the current team's trajectory, as far as that goes, um, it looks pretty good. I mean, of course, the last four to five seasons have been mostly defined by the post-James Harden era. Um, as much flack as Harden gets for for play style and uh, in recent seasons, his uh, penchant for, for moving teams, uh, you cannot deny that his era in Houston, where he was the leader of that team, was incredibly successful. Uh, the... I want to say eight full seasons that he was in Houston uh, following the final trip he made with the Thunder as the sixth man for that team and a sixth man of the year award winner. Those eight full seasons in Houston, he led them to the playoffs every single year, including uh, two conference finals appearances in uh, 2015, 2018. We'll get to those in uh, just a moment, but Incredible success. Um, and so the last few years where he's been off the team, it's been a process of rediscovering a, a new team identity, new coaching, new players. They had Steven Silas at the helm for, for several seasons. Um, had some talent towards the end, still just didn't seem to be getting the job done at that point. I like Steven Silas, but maybe it made sense to move on from a head coaching perspective. So they uh, brought in Ime Udoka last off season, of course, who had been kind of on a year sabbatical almost, if you will, for the weird incident uh, with the Boston Celtics. Still not clear on what exactly happened with the organization and his uh, his tenure there. So he had a year off of coaching after being a coach that led the team to a finals appearance. And then uh, Houston brings him in. And so far, it seems to be working out pretty well. They're 13-11 uh, 
13 and 11 and 11. Excuse me. So far this season, winning record there about middle of the pack in the Western Conference. And that's a big step up from a team that was uh, 60 plus losses in back to back seasons the last two years. So I think that's huge progress for them to make, uh, bringing a guy like uh, Yudoka in. But it wasn't without personnel changes as well. Free agent agent acquisition uh, Fred Van Vliet has been their leader at the point guard spot. This year averaging about 17 points a game and nine assists. Uh, Solid shooting percentages as well, although the field goal percentage is a bit rough. Uh, Only 39% from the floor. Excuse me, but that is including 39-ish percent from the three-point line. So in the modern era, you know, you kind of take that, the good with the bad there, I suppose. Um, Dylan Brooks was another acquisition uh, to be their starting small forward, bringing a bit of that gritty defensive edge to a team with a lot of younger, maybe a little more offensively inclined uh, players and, and players with that kind of potential. Um, Jeff Green brought in for some veteran presence. Uh, Reggie Bullock, Jock Landell as well, giving you some more depth. Uh, so, you know, that was kind of the big free agent moves. And of course they had plenty of talent and they had added more talent with Amen Thompson in the draft, who's been injured for much of the season, unfortunately, but really, you know, people were thinking over the last few seasons with the way their drafts had turned out with high picks like Jabari Smith Jr., at uh, number three overall just a couple of years ago, Jalen Green uh, a few years before that, that those were going to be the franchise cornerstones. And they have plenty of talent. Green has maybe taken a step back. Jabari Smith Jr. hasn't grown as much as they would like. They're still productive. But to me, the player that really has emerged as a building block for the Rockets going forward and their best player at this point is Alperen Sengun. You know, we've mentioned him a lot of times, it feels like, so far on the podcast this year. He came up on last season's podcast. Um, to me, what he kind of exemplifies is a, you know, a Jokic light in the sense that he's a, a center who can uh, score the ball in a number of levels. He's a great playmaker, great rebounder, um, can play some defense, not stellar defensively, but good score from all areas of the floor. And you know, potential-wise, we don't know what the potential is with Shangun. I I would proffer to say that at his best, he's not going to be nearly as good as Jokic is right now. You know, I don't think that's crazy to say, but I do think that if he can be, you know, something approximating Jokic's first kind of all-star appearance, something in those numbers, that would still be very great. Um, and could be a building block, maybe even if he's a, a you know a co-star to a another guy who's of that same level and ability. Whether it's a, one of these guys on the roster already, like a Jalen Green or a Jabari Smith Jr., or it's someone else that they bring in uh, with a, a draft pick or a trade, you know, I think that would be kind of the recipe for success. But they've got a lot of great pieces to work with here. Terry Eason is a as a backup. Power forward has been very nice in his minutes. Uh, Aaron Holiday is a young point guard that I like to see with his pedigree and what his brothers have done, uh, him getting a little bit more uh, opportunity there. 
Uh, Jay Sean Tate was a all rookie team member a few years back. We forget that. And he's a, a okay ish spot minute guy. Uh, again, Amen Thompson hasn't had a lot of run. We forget about Cam Whitmore, who's only played about five games, hasn't had the opportunity to play much yet either. Um, there's just plenty of pieces to work with here. And even the free agent guys like Van Vliet, not very old. I mean, Van Vliet's about 29, so he's right kind of in the middle of his prime. Um, Dylan Brooks still fairly young. I mean, 27-ish, you know. Um Jeff Green, of course, is not going to be here on this roster too long. He's 37. Um, but you you keep some of those guys in the mix at all times, those veteran presence guys, and then you hopefully get that young talent to continue to develop. Um, my concern with the Rockets is, you know, if a guy like a Jalen Green or Jabari Smith Jr. just stays stagnant, if they decide they need to move on from them to either – bring in other guys with some potential that are in that same youth time frame. Maybe they, you know, bring in draft picks to, to try and add other guys through the draft that they think are going to have more potential. Excuse me. Um, one of those type of things, um, because again, Jalen green about 17 points a game this season. I believe that's down. Yeah, that's, about the same as he was averaging his rookie year last year, he averaged about 22 points a game. Um, the percentages have never been great, uh, but this is kind of not as great as they've even been in the past. 40% from the floor, 33% from three. We know he's not a super efficient scorer, but you'd like to see that improved somewhat at this point. And uh, Smith Jr., I mean, 35% from three is a power forward with his size and rebounding ability. That's pretty solid. You could definitely live with that. Um, you wish the scoring was higher, and you wish maybe the def defensive numbers were a little bit more impressive, especially with Shangun not being a immensely great defender in his own right. If he could have a little bit more of a complimentary defender alongside him, in my mind, that would be uh, something beneficial, but... Uh, what do I know? But, you know, the Rockets have been blessed with fairly consistent uh, starting lineup success in terms of guys being on the floor. I mean, of the 24 games they've played, Shangun, Brooks, Green, and, and Smith Jr. have started all of them. Van Vliet started all but one. And so that kind of consistency has been a blessing for them, to, especially with this new head coach, to, to get that... Uh, you know, time in on the court to build consistency, to build, um, you know, rep repetition, you know, a routine, some of those kind of things. You know, I think that's been uh, a great benefit to them. And the the depth, you know, I think there's plenty of pieces to, to build solid depth. Um, again, for me, it's just a question of Green and Smith Jr., if they can continue to develop or if they've stagnated. Um, that I guess remains to be seen, but, uh, you know, Brooks and Van Vliet along with Shangun, I think can be solid pieces, you know, um, you think of almost Shangun and then Van Vliet is almost a, a Jamal Murray to Shangun's Jokic Brooks is almost like the Aaron Gordon in a sense. And then you can add in, you know, Jabari Smith can maybe switch to be more of a Michael Porter jr. In a sense. So, 
I don't know. You don't want to try and just copy what other team, what one other team has done. You know, I remember around 2018, 2019 uh, with the Atlanta Hawks, of course they acquired Trey Young in the draft. And in that same draft, they got Kevin Herter. Maybe it was the following draft. They got Kevin Herter and Amari Spellman. And the idea was, well, we're just going to get, you know, this guy that's kind of like Clay Thompson and this guy that's kind of like Draymond Green. And we're going to make them, you know, the, the warriors of the East coast and that iteration didn't quite work. Of course, Trey young panned out uh, as an all-star and a, a great scoring guard, but um, not always successful to just try and copy the blueprint of another team. But um, you know, there are certain things about teams, you know, having guys that can fill in different roles. Those are somewhat universal. And so I think having a good mix of players in my limited view, seems like it'd be a good thing for the Rockets. So, you know, if you're a Rockets fan, it hasn't been that long of a turnaround. I mean, a few years of struggling teams, the latter half being teams with young, exciting rookie players. And now you're a team that's certainly in the mix in the Western Conference early on. I mean, you got to feel pretty good about that. And especially where you get a draft steal in Shangoon. I mean, he was a uh, 16th pick first round uh, by the Thunder. Um, and you know, mid first round is not super late in the draft, but if you can get him, if he can be an all-star type player, then that's, that's a steal and that's a, a great thing to have. So overall, you know, rockets seem to be going in some exciting places. Uh, it's a very intriguing roster. Definitely one to watch out for over the next uh, couple of seasons to see how they continue to grow and what happens with them, but gotta like their makeup so far. And, uh, you know, you talk about exciting teams and we mentioned briefly the, the Harden era, uh, and, you know, early on, you could kind of tell, I mean, it's first seasons there in 20, uh, 2012, 2013, they were 45 and 37, won about 55% of their games. That's, uh, not too far off from what this current Rockets team is winning so far this season, um, so those early signs of, of promise, you know, they lost in the first round that year, but a couple of years after that, they were, well, they were the team that we're going to talk about next, our historic team. We're talking about the 2014, 2015 Houston Rockets. Now this is a very intentional choice. When you talk about the Harden era, people latch on to the 2018 or 2019 Rockets as that was the team. If the Rockets were going to get to the finals with James Harden, those were the teams that were going to do it with the Chris Paul leadership, with Mike D'Antoni, with that offense and it hardens MVP season. I get that argument and I don't necessarily think it's a wrong argument. I would dissent a little bit and I would point to the success that the team had in the 2015 season um, as, you know, something they really could have uh, had success for, a few more seasons with this model. I, I feel like uh, to remind you, the team was 56 and 26 in that time at that time uh, was like, the I believe the third best record in the franchise's history, a franchise that actually has had a really great history. Uh, some phenomenal teams, multiple finals, finals appearances. Um, they claimed their first ever Southwest division title. Of course, the, those divisions were realigned in 2004. So, it wasn't their first ever division title in franchise history, but it was their first Southwest division title. 
their executive was Daryl Morey. Of course, we recognize him as being um, the architect for most of that Harden Rockets era. Uh, the head coach, though, Kevin McHale, uh, of course, one of the great power forwards of all time uh, with his career with the Boston Celtics, a coach in, in a few occasions in the NBA. Um, and I don't know that he ever gets the the credit as a very solid head coach. Um, took over for the Timberwolves midway or at some point during the 05 season. Let me double check. Yeah, he he was kind of midway through the year. Uh, went 19 and 12. Uh, managed to you know guide that team to a respectable finish, even though they missed the playoffs following a very exciting 04 season. Uh, coached the team briefly again in the 09 season. Uh, again, I want to say that was, yeah, that was after a coaching change, uh, went 20 and 43 with his roster that was, you know, not as stellar and then becomes the head coach for the Houston Rockets in 2012 and continually grows with them. And, uh, he was a, you know, coach of the month in the 2014 season. I mean, he was kind of underrated as a, a respectable, solid coach, and this was his best coaching performance yet. It would seem, you know. I mean, the previous year had won 54 games, but they lost in the first round. But this year would bring much greater playoff success. Looking at the roster, yes, Harden's here. And this is a, a year for Harden fans where it's like, you know, this could have and maybe should have been in their eyes his first MVP season, not 2019 or 2018. I mean, uh, this season, this 2015 season, of course, Stephen Curry, if you don't, don't remember or had forgotten, he was the MVP this year, but you look at Harden's numbers, 27 points a game, seven assists, nearly six rebounds, uh, two steals, and nearly a block per game. I mean, phenomenal numbers. If you want to see Steph Curry's stat line that season, that MVP season in 2015, uh, just about 24 points a game, uh, nearly eight assists, four rebounds, two steals. The percentages, uh, of course, Curry has a bit of an edge there. Uh, Harden was still very effective. I mean, Harden was about 44% from the floor, 38% from the three, and 87% from the free throw line. Meanwhile, Steph Curry, 49% from the floor, 44% from three, and uh, 91% from the free throw line. And the Warriors were uh, 67-15 that season. So that's a, a big factor. You have a guy with the, the much higher winning total, and the Warriors having had, you know, been subpar with talent for all of the 2000s or most of the 2000s and into the 2010s. And then midway through the, the, the 2010s, they've got, you know, all stars and they're growing and suddenly they win 67 games as a rookie head coach. Um, you know, that's a big argument in Steph Curry's favor. And I won't deny that. But otherwise, looking at the numbers Harden was very impressive and, you know, you could certainly have made a case for him as an MVP that season alongside him. His backcourt mate was Patrick Beverly and, you know, he had not built the reputation quite yet for, you know, attitude or um, being an instigator, but he was known as a hard nosed player, physical player, defensively inclined. And I liked that fit. Uh, especially where, you know, as a three-point shooter, he was still productive, 35%, 36% nearly from three on a good amount of attempts. I mean, six attempts per game, still able to knock down the three alongside Harden, 
uh, Harden and he Harden could kind of take the lead as a facilitator and the scorer, and Beverly could could get some assists and and pick up some points on the side, and mainly focus on being the better defensive guard. Yeah, I kind of liked that aspect of it. Dwight Howard starting at center played about half the games of the regular season, still playing at an all-star level, about 16 points a game, 10 rebounds, uh, 1.3 blocks. And Harden gets maligned a bit too, but at this point, he wasn't quite the defensive player of the year candidate that he had been in his prime in Orlando, of course, um, or even his lone season in, in Los Angeles with the Lakers. But he was still a productive center he was very productive in his three seasons in Houston. Um, you know, this was his down year with some injury troubles and playing a little bit less minutes because of that, but still a very effective rebounder, um, you know, shot blockers. Well, during this season, he actually became the third youngest to, I believe it was 10,000 rebounds or something to that effect. Maybe, you know, with I believe it was 10,000. Uh, alongside like a Wilt Chamberlain and a Bill Russell. So um, in elite company there at still, if you know, he was in his late 20s, early 30s at this point. Um, so, you know, underrated his impact there. Then they had at the forwards, uh, firstly, Trevor Ariza, who started and played all of the games that season. Solid piece. He was great with Harden for his whole year, you know, tenure in Houston. Uh, solid spot up three point shooter, defensive ability, 1.9 steals per game, about 13 points a game as the, you know, uh, a supporting scorer there. And then Donatus Modiunis. This is a name that people are going to forget about. And I do hope I'm pronouncing that right. That's how I've always pronounced it. Um, but his years in the NBA and with the Rockets, he was a very solid pro, especially this year where he started most of his games, played about 29 minutes a game. He averaged 12 points, six boards, two assists, and uh, shot about 37% from three, 50% from the floor, 60% from the free throw line. I mean, that's just a great, uh, great production from a guy who was just kind of filling in the lineup and what that really did was allowed for some great depth for this team, in my opinion. Uh, first of all, Jason Terry, they got him, they brought him in to come off the bench, former sixth man of the year, kind of combo guard who can shoot the three and can get you some points. They brought in Corey Brewer, defender off the bench who could be offensively inclined as well. Terrence Jones and Josh Smith. Josh Smith at a point where he was, you know, just a year or two removed from being a name that would be, you know, dark horse. Well, maybe he's an all-star type pick. Uh, he ne never did make an all-star team, which is kind of surprising because of his electric play. He's kind of a player out of his era a little bit. Um, not really a standout three-point shooter that didn't stop him sh from shooting threes. Um, but he was fairly decent efficiency-wise with Houston this year where he was brought in kind of midway through the season, um, early to midway through the season, 33% from three for the Rockets after being brought in from Houston. You know, that was a great piece to have off the bench uh, with his scoring, some defensive impact, the athleticism, the rebounds, all that kind of stuff. And then Terrence Jones as well, solid power forward. 
Um, good rotational piece. They brought in Pablo Prigioni as a veteran point guard like that for them. And then they had a rookie center by the name of Clint Capella, who in spot minutes could still show that he would, was going to be a player. And uh, I mean, that's some great, you know, great players for this team. They had Papa Nicolau who got some spot minutes, Tariq Black, Isaiah Kanan, Francisco Garcia played a little bit for this team. I mean, they had a lot of great uh, names and the players and, uh, you know, dealing with some injury troubles limited them at times. You know, you wonder if Howard and, uh, you know, Patrick Beverly were a little more healthy. Pat Bev played about 55 games in regular season. Howard played half the games he could have. So those guys are a little more healthy. Maybe they would have won more or something in the 60 games category and, Harden would have been a little more of a candidate for the MVP. It's hard to say. It's hard to speculate. But that being said, very solid team. And so they they make the playoffs and they they get past the first round for the first time with Harden. 4-1 series versus the Mavericks. They go to the semifinals and they find themselves down 3-1 versus the LA Clippers. Um, and this is the Clippers in the heyday of you know Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, Doc Rivers is the head coach there at this point. Uh, very early in his tenure, I believe. Uh, yeah, maybe his, his second season as head coach. And so they've got Chris Paul, Blake Griffin, DeAndre, and those guys are playing at an all-NBA uh, level. Jordan with the rebounds and defense, kind of the that newest version of Dwight Howard at that time. Chris Paul with stellar point guard play, Blake Griffin as the leading scorer. They had great depth too, for the most part. Um, but the Rockets rallied, and again, this is kind of the the underrated aspect of Kevin McHale as a coach, being the leader of a team that went down three one, the voice in the locker room for them, especially with a fairly young, you know, Beverly and Harden, uh, Dwight Howard a little older, but still. Uh, you know, Harden was a leader and he was still fairly young and Mikhail being the head coach to be able to power them to a turnaround, three straight wins to win the series, four games to three, seven game series, gutsy win to move themselves to the conference finals. And they face the MVP uh, that actually was for that season in Steph Curry and the Golden State Warriors. And they lose the series four games to one. Warriors advanced to their first finals in uh in a while at that point. And you know, it was a feel-good story for the Warriors with their young stars, with the MVP, with the struggles of that franchise in recent recent decades, really. Um but you know, we didn't realize that the Rockets, you know, it kind of felt like, well, they're gonna be in this thing for the next while. And they were, but not quite in the way that it maybe seemed at that time. And this is where, you know, the injustice continues for my man, Kevin McHale, maybe 2016 season, the Rockets get off to a struggle start. Their first 11 games, they go four and seven. Not great. That's 11 games into the season. That's maybe about an eighth of the way, maybe a bit early in my opinion. Um, Despite that, the organization, Daryl Morey, they decide we need to change it up from a coaching perspective. So they fire Kevin McHale. And I don't guarantee 
that Mikhail would have led this team to a finals appearance. I think that would be, you know, a leap considering the, the brevity of his coaching resume. We don't know for sure. Um, they were just middling that 2016 season, played about 500, 41 and 41, lost in the first round. They bring in Dan Tony. They have great success in their own right, and they have opportunities to go to the finals themselves. I can be a little bit skeptical about Dan Tony in some ways. I obviously he's been a great coach who, you know, brings instant success to programs and has high octane offenses, or at least that's the legacy. Um, but the defensive, you know, it's I feel like he just kind of compromises too much on the defensive side of it and schemes. You know, the 20 I want to say it was uh yeah, the 2020 Rockets, when they had Westbrook on the roster, the way they played sometimes just made my traditional basketball mind lose it a little bit. Um, by the time the uh, playoffs rolled around, and of course they weren't playing with Clint Capella, so that was a factor. He started all the games that he played this year, but in his absence on a roster that still had a an aging but serviceable Tyson Chandler, and uh, you know some some size. They had Robert Covington starting at center, PJ Tucker at power forward. Um, you know Daniel House starting a lot of games, and uh, Jeff Green playing center. And it just kind of made me scream a little bit. You know, it's I get the small ball thing, and that was super in vogue at that time. But they were just pushing it to to new extremes. But the original point is, you know, I just wonder what the team could have accomplished if they gave Kevin McHale the full 2016 season or even the 2017 season. Could they have been, you know, could they have gotten off, you know, flipped the switch after a slow start that year and kicked it into gear and, and been right back in that playoff mix? Um, would they have broken through the finals? Again, hard to say, but there's a small what if story there, but more to the point, you know, as much as we like to talk about the Paul Harden era, those few years as their best, this 2015 team was dang good. Pat Bev and Dwight Howard were a nice compliment to a young Harden. And, you know, that could have been the opportunity for them to, you know, really shine. It's hard to say that they would have been, that they wouldn't have been, but it was a great team nonetheless, and uh, let's leave it at that. A fun team, you know, and they they had some great playoff success, so that's really the uh, the big thing. For our last segment, of course, we're talking about a historic player from that franchise's history, and in a similar vein to what we talked about with another Texas team, the Dallas Mavericks, we're talking about a, a person who's impacted the roster and the team and the franchise in a multitude of ways, first as a player, later as a coach. And we're talking about maybe Mr. Houston Rocket himself for his impact, Rudy Tomjanovich or Rudy T. Now, I'm going to start this whole thing off by prefacing it with, if you know anything about Rudy T, you've probably heard about, yeah, he got this crazy injury one time. Um, my blanket statement is, I personally get a little bit tired of hearing about that story. It is something that you cannot avoid with his life and his story. So... If you're not familiar, I recommend 
looking into it. But for our purposes and for the sake of not letting that define his career, I'm going to omit that and just focus on what he did as a player and as a coach. And that will shorten what we talk about because, again, a lot of the sources, I mean, that's like a third of the stuff, a third of the material is this injury and the impact it had on him. But let's just talk about him as a, a person, the player, and later a coach for the Rockets. And, of course, he uh, was born and raised in Michigan, went to the University of Michigan, uh, was a great collegiate player, has the Michigan Wolverines career rebounding record still, uh, all Big Ten in his career. He was All-American. I mean, just a, a great college career, was going to be a great professional player. Uh, picked second overall by the San Diego Rockets at that time. Um that's always a misconception that I've had in the past was, oh, they're the Rockets because they're in Houston. Not actually the case. They were named the Rockets when they were formed in San uh, San Diego first. Uh, he played one year there, and then the remainder of his career, they were in Houston. But he spent his whole career with the Rockets franchise. Uh, but second pick overall in the 1970 draft, played from 1970 to 1981, uh, 11 seasons in the NBA. And uh, he was a five-time All-Star in that span, mostly at the power forward. Um, but with, you know, a, a 6'8", 220 frame, good athleticism, he could kind of shift to the small forward if he needed to. Um, he was a pretty solid shooter from at least mid-range. He could maybe knock down a three as well. The last couple of years, a uh, couple of seasons of his career, when they had the three-point line, he shot just about 26% from the three-point arc. Not stellar, but in that era, that was certainly serviceable, especially for a power forward. I mean, that was kind of, uh, it was pretty novel for someone like him to be able to shoot the ball from three like that, um, playing that position. But again, he was versatile. You know, he's a uh, uh, an adaptable player. Uh, yeah, five all-star appearances uh, at one point, four straight all-star appearances from 74 to 77. In those four years, those four straight appearances, he averaged 21 points a game, eight rebounds, 2.6 assists, uh, 52% from the floor, 81% from the free throw line. Just a solid pro. Uh, great play from him at, at a time where the Rockets were competitive and they made playoff series and they actually won playoff series um, at one point being in the Eastern Conference in 75. That was actually. That was a few years they were in the East. I forget about this. Yeah, throughout most of the 70s, they were in the Eastern Conference, uh, which is funny to think about now, of course. But, uh, you know, during most of the 70s, at least early in his career, they were just kind of building. Um, they had okay success. I mean, 77, they won 49 games. Uh, they won some playoff series, never made it too far in the playoffs uh, until 1981, actually his last year, uh, where they actually made the NBA finals. Um, he was just playing spot minutes at that point. His, he had kind of regressed in his play. Um, did he actually play any finals games? That's something I'm curious about. Um, will it tell me that? That is... The other question. Here we go. 1981 game log. Yes, he did play in the finals against the Boston Celtics in 1981. A handful of minutes towards the end of those games. Uh, three losses. Uh, 
most of them, I think it was two of those three played in Boston. So he played in the finals, uh, which was honestly something I was kind of forgetting about with his, his career to an extent, but um, that was the end of his career. the pilot of his career. Um, he was kind of there for building years with the Rockets. Um, of course it was that 79 year where they first actually, no, it was maybe before that Moses Malone comes in 77, that first year they really start to have success. And at that point, that was a pretty potent pairing. Uh, he played 80 games for the Rockets. Most, most all the season that 77 year, 49, 33. So you had Tom Jodovich paired with Moses Malone, who was emerging as a, a stalwart center. Uh, Tom Janovich still averaging 21 points a game. And then Calvin Murphy as an underrated point guard, all-star point guard at all, all of, you know, five, nine of him. He was a great player. Um, okay. Depth, you know, especially a guy like Mike Newland alongside them. Um, you know, they had some teams in the back half of his career that, you know, had playoff opportunities. You know, you wonder if he would have, if his prime, could have stretched just a couple more years. His prime alongside an MVP, Moses Malone, excuse me, MVP, Moses Malone. And then, you know, they also had Robert Reed and Calvin Murphy still there. And, uh, you know, some of the other depths that they would have brought in and they still made the finals, even without his incredible play. If he had that, you know, maybe they could have upset the Celtics in that kind of finals, but it's hard to say for sure. Otherwise, um, a great playing career, you know, multi-time all-star touch ahead of his era, especially in his versatility. Um, it was the 78 season where he missed most of that season due to that injury. Um, but he came back and was still productive for a few more, few more years, made the all-star team the following year. Um, would have probably made it in 78. Um, but of course, again, got injured. So after that, you know, he retires, his, his playing career is done. And he becomes a scout uh, for two years before being a assistant coach with the Rockets in 83. So pretty soon after his playing career, he gets into the Rockets franchise again on the coaching staff. And he's there for an, a long time, a long time with both Bill Fitch and Don Chaney as an assistant. Chaney gets uh, fired or no, sorry. Chaney resigns. Don Chaney resigns as head coach in uh, 92 right around the trade deadline. And so Tom Janovich becomes the interim head coach and uh, has great success with them. The remaining, uh, you know, the remainder of the season. And so they say, well, you know, it seemed like he had a pretty good start with them. I mean, uh, let's give him the, the reins full time. And over the next three years, he leads them to 55 wins. And then, in 94, he leads them to 58 wins and they make it to the finals and they win the championship. And then the next year they struggle in the regular season. They're a sixth seed, um, but they win the championship again. And of course they had Hakeem Olajuwon on the roster at 95. They also had Clyde Drexler after a trade. Um, but, you know, later Rockets teams, um, well, earlier Rockets teams actually had, you know, plenty of talent alongside Hakeem and, just couldn't quite get it done. And, uh, you know, Rudy T was the coach to get it done. Um, of course, he's fully famous uh, in terms of 
um, quotes the the famous "Don't ever underestimate the heart of a champion." That was after the second championship was won, after they had been kind of counted out by a lot of people during the regular season because they had got off to a sluggish start. Um, you know, he he had the Rockets even contending long beyond that uh, into the late nineties uh, with a roster that evolved a bit and brought in older names to try and, you know, continue to success, the success rather they brought in Charles Barkley. They brought in Scotty Pippen, you know, they had <clears throat> all these names and they were still a very competitive team um, and ha- had opportunities to maybe win a championship losing the conference finals in 97 to the Utah jazz. That was a close series. Um, but eventually the Rockets looked to rebuild. Um, they rebuild throughout the early two thousands um, with guys like Steve Francis, Katino Mobley. And then of course, later Yao Ming as a draft selection. Um, I believe that was the O two draft. Um, let me go ahead and verify that. O three season. Yes. Was Yao's rookie year. Um, they're 43 and 39. Uh, looks like probably just barely missing out on the uh, the playoffs, I would have to imagine. Let me double check. Western Conference. Yeah, pretty close. So they were probably a ninth seed, uh, just barely missing the playoffs uh, with a rookie Yao Ming. Um, but Tomjanovich decides, you know, that that's the point for him to... Um, be done, but especially because he was dealing with, uh, he was diagnosed with bladder cancer. Um, so he, he left the team to be able to, uh, focus on his health and, and recover from that. And thankfully he's made a full recovery from that. Um, that is awesome news to be able to, to overcome something like that. He briefly coached with the Lakers in the 04, 05 season. Um, he he played or he not played he coached half the year with the team but then uh resigned halfway through because uh he cited mental and physical exhaustion but it was not related to the bladder cancer um and but he stayed on with the team as a consultant and he actually stayed as a consultant with the roster and the franchise for a long time uh up until you know maybe the last 5 or 6 years honestly um so he also was a a team USA head coach. Um was it 98 uh FIBA World Cup coach uh for the senior team. Uh they kind of had to last minute botch together a lineup and they still won the bronze for that. They were like, you know what, you showed us something. Let's have you coach the team at the Olympics in Australia in 2000 and they won the gold eight. No, in this, in that, uh, you know, in that Olympics. Um, and, uh, he was named at that point, the director of scouting for, uh, USA men's basketball. So he's, uh, I don't know, just a storied career in so many aspects. And again, this is kind of why I wanted to, to, shy away from talking about the injury because it's an immense story, but lost in that is a guy who a had a very productive playing career in his own right. And was a multi-time all-star, one of the best forwards in the uh, Western conference in that time. He then becomes a, uh, 
head coach or an assistant coach for a number of years during a finals run in 86 with the Rockets, um, takes the, the reins head coach in 92, and then in short order leads them to a couple of championships, their first championships as a franchise, becomes their greatest head coach, full stop in their franchise's history. And then, you know, stays in in the game and he coaches with the national team and he consults with the Lakers and uh, he's also consulted with the Timberwolves. And, um, you know, he's just been an incredible figure in basketball and has contributed in so many different ways. He's not just the injury. He was a great player and especially a huge impact for the Houston Rockets. And uh, that's as much as I can say. Definitely recommend, you know, learning more about him if you can. Again, look up the injury if you have to. It's hard to not talk about it. Uh, Even though I've tried to avoid it, I've still had to mention it without being too specific. But, uh, yeah, not just the injury. A great player and a great coach. Probably an even better coach than he was a player. And he was an all-star as a player. So just a great Great person all around and a great figure in the Rockets franchise history. And uh, that should take care of it for us. Um, I want to thank you again for tuning in. Um, I'll take this opportunity real quick to plug our social media pages on Instagram and Facebook. We're at Crossover Across Time, fairly straightforward. Um, on Twitter or X, where you can find us at X Over Across Time, uh, just due to the character limit on the username there. On all of those, you can find a link tree that'll take you to any of the other pages, but we'll also take you to the podcast itself. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and RSS.com. So again, support us in any way you can. Uh, if you'd like to, we'd greatly appreciate it. We thank you for tuning in. With that, that's about it for today. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow with our last episode before uh, the holiday weekend. Uh, so we're going to have plenty to talk about kind of getting uh, the last couple of days recapped. We'll preview a lot of stuff for the uh, the weekend. Um, we'll have Wyatt back on tomorrow as well, so that should be a lot of fun. Um, we'll do a segment that we haven't had a chance to do in full in a while. But uh, with that, we'll go ahead and sign off. Thank you again for tuning in, and we'll be back with you tomorrow. <laughs>